Hello, PQI podcast listeners. We are back. Welcome to season six of the PQI podcast. Encoda is thrilled to bring you another season that promises insights, inspiration, and a prescription for innovation in the field of oncology. Today, we kick off the season with special guest, Dr. Richard Safir, Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing for Johns Hopkins Medicine. A true expert in fostering a healthy and resilient workforce, Dr. Safir will take us through his book, A Cure for the Common Company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce. Throughout the episode, Dr. Safir will equip us with the tools to create a workplace that not only thrives, but flourishes. Let's jump right in. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Safir or Rich, for joining us on the podcast today. To start out, will you please introduce yourself and tell us a little about who you are and what you do? Thanks, Ginger. I'm happy to be here. You serve a really important community, obviously. Uh, I do have a family interest in supporting your community, so thank you. Um, I, I'm Rich Safir. I'm the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing at Johns Hopkins Medicine, which basically means I serve the strategy for the 40,000 people who work at Johns Hopkins. Okay, wonderful. So I think that you have one of the coolest jobs around for mm. sure. Um, but why why wellness and what led you to this role? Um, and I know I know from reading your book, which we'll talk about shortly, yeah. it's a passion for you. Yeah, well, I studied nutrition before going to medical school, Ginger. And then uh, in my first year of family medicine, family practice, I was seeing patients and I was like, you know, if I had more than 15 minutes, I probably could help this person understand the root cause of their problem, uh, but I didn't have more than 15 minutes. And after a year of doing this, I kind of got frustrated and I realized, you know, I'm running from one room to another and my patients are either running to the office from work or running back to their office from uh, my office. And I'm like, they're spending 15 minutes with me and 2000 hours at work. That's where I should be. And so that was 25 years ago. And yeah, I've had, uh, it's been an interesting journey, and uh, this position did not exist when I started at Johns Hopkins um, 12 years ago. Great. So so you kind of for, forged the way to your own position. Pretty much. Um, it was probably not good for my well-being for a few years. <laughs> you, you didn't pra practice what you preach, maybe? Not entirely. <laughs> um, Much so better now. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So in 2023, you released a book titled A Cure for the Common Company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce. What is the premise of the book and why did you write it? Ginger, I started to realize during the pandemic that I was closer to the end of my career than the beginning. And I've had a lot of interesting experiences, which have helped me to get to where I am today and to lead a pretty successful transformation of our institution. And I felt it was important to help other leaders and organizations know how to do this because they're really subject to a lot of marketing from companies 
that would like your dollar in order to make everything all better for you. Well, I'm not opposed to partnering or outsourcing part of the strategy, but really uh, companies and leaders have their own responsibility. In addition to practicing in family medicine, I also spent time in academics at George Washington University. I ran an occupational medicine office in Baltimore, Maryland, where I was working with large companies like Domino Sugar and the city police department. I then worked at Care First Blue Cross Blue Shield, where I was the medical director of preventive medicine, and I worked with 1.3 million employees from large self-insured companies. So I've really seen this challenge from a lot of different angles. And uh, it's a unique perspective that I brought to Hopkins in order to um, deliver a strategy and that I think other people can benefit from. Yes, for sure. I know we were talking before the podcast and I just finished the book and it's excellent. Uh, but I, I really feel our listeners, you know, are a lot of oncology professionals. So physician, nurse, uh, pharmacist, pharmacy technicians. And that's just been a huge topic in, in recent years in light of COVID, but also just in oncology itself is the well-being and burnout of employees. So what exactly is a well-being culture? And then why is having that culture so important? And I, and I would say even maybe so important in oncology. Yeah, I mean, the word culture is thrown around a lot. So it's a good place to start. Culture is the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes of a group of people. And so if you're running an oncology practice, then we're talking about the shared behaviors, beliefs, and attitudes of the people who work in that oncology practice as it relates to well-being. So um, it, there's almost always norms within an organization. So a norm is the expected behavior of a group of people. So for example, in healthcare, everyone pretty much knows that you wash your hands before you go in to see a patient and afterward. That's a norm, it's expected, and it's done almost all the time. But there are other norms in healthcare, some of which are supportive of our health and well-being, and others that are not. So um, just hand-washing itself is obviously supportive because not only are we protecting the patients, but we're keeping ourselves from getting infected. But like an unhealthy norm is that we often don't take breaks. Uh, maybe not even lunch breaks. That's not great. It's not great because it doesn't allow our mind to rest. And when our mind doesn't rest, we can't think clearly. And when we can't think clearly, we can't work at our best. And at the end of the day, we're mentally exhausted, which means we may not be able to give ourselves to our friends and our family, which, you know, this is just a vicious cycle. For sure. I know I think back to just start starting out several years ago in retail pharmacy and the company was a good one, but it was, you know, 12 hour days on your mm -hmm. feet. There are a lot of days, yeah. no break, or you eat in a cubby um, hunched over so that people don't see you. And I think, you know, if maybe we had had some of some of your knowledge in mm. that company, I may have stayed there instead of you decide this is not for me. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's it's a really uh, it's not a straightforward path. Yes. First, um, 
employers need to understand that this is not solely the responsibility of the people who work in your organization. It is partly the employer's responsibility, part the employee's responsibility, and every manager in between. Yes. We all impact each other's well-being. Ginger, just the most basic example, when someone tells you a joke and you laugh, that person just helped your well-being. We yeah. do not live in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. That is very true. Very, very true. And I know in the book, you go over some of the building blocks of mm -hmm. the well-being culture. So will you talk about some of those blocks? Sure, sure. There's six building blocks in the book. Um, I will state them, but I will only give an example of one. So I, I use the phrase plan for success to help remember the six well-being culture building blocks. The P in plan is for peer support. The L is for leadership engagement. The N is for norms. That's plan. Then four. The last word, success. The S is for shared values. The two Cs are for culture connection points. And the last S in success is for social climate. Now, Ginger, I didn't think of that until after the book was published. <laughs> so unfortunately... <laughs> Anyway, so the one I'll just focus on is peer support. And, and just before I gave the six building blocks, I gave you an example of peer support. If you have a coworker who helps you laugh, that person is helping you with your well-being. We don't think about that as like a strategy. But in fact, why can't it be? Why can't we be intentionally trying to have a little fun, a little laughter during the workday? Yes, I, I think for sure. And in a in a healthy way, because I'm thinking then like parties and celebrations mm, and I know yeah. a big a big part of your um story centers around yeah. um and you know <laughs> making hel healthy choices available. Yeah, yeah. Um so Ginger, you know yeah, you know <laughs> that I have a chocolate addiction <laughs> now that you read the book. Oh. Yeah. I mean celebrating um in a respectful way, uh, can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think that gets to one of the core human needs, and that is respect. We need respect from each other. And whether that's around respect for our heritage, uh, our culture, our eating preferences. I mean, heck, some people have uh, uh, chronic diseases and when their coworker thinks they're being nice and they put a bowl of chocolate down in front of them, <laughs> you're you're actually harming them because willpower is really not an effective strategy for most people. Yes. I I would be one of those people. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm with you on the chocolate yeah. <laughs> and the, the potato chips. Oh. Uh, so a lot of our members and listeners may not be heads of their organization, but yeah. they all play vital roles there. Yes. So, you know, a big part of what you talk about in the book is uh, organizational subculture. Yes. So talk a little more about that and how, so maybe you're not the leader of your full organization. Yes. How could you implement changes in your subculture? Yeah, I mean, really, the book was written for just about anybody who can influence other people in the organization. So, listen, doctors, nurses, uh, physician assistants, nurse assistants, 
you we are in an interesting industry because we are in healthcare. We are seen as leaders, whether or not someone reports to you, because of your additional knowledge. And so, yes, you know, uh, an organization has a culture, but then within different pockets, within different teams, there are subcultures. Um, I look at it this way. Uh, we have a culture in the United States, and one aspect of our culture is that a large part of America watches football on Sundays, right? So we think we're one country around that, but it became abundantly clear in 2020 that we actually have different subcultures. Part of our country wore masks, another part didn't. In 2021, part of our country got vaccinated, other parts didn't. And so there are different subcultures within your organization and every person can influence the subculture on their team using the six building blocks in the book. And just another shout out for uh, a, another aspect of the book. Each of those building block chapters has a section called put your own mask on first. 70% of Americans say that their job is their most stressful part of their life. And this call out box, put your own mask on first, helps you use the building block to support yourself. So Ginger, I play uh, poker with a group of guys once a month and I've been playing with them for 20 plus years. Oh my gosh, that's so yep. fun. They are my peers. They help me laugh. And I make a very strong effort to show up uh, on that once a month occasion. And there might be someone at work that you know makes you smile. Try to be around them more. That's how you use the peer support block for yourself. I love that. And then I, I also think not only our teams, I mean, I think about our patients as well. Um, mm -hmm. Having that effect if you're, if you're putting on your own mask to take care of them. Um, yeah. Well, there's no doubt that patient satisfaction scores go up when healthcare workers are happier. And there's no doubt that healthcare workers are happier when they feel more well. It's all connected. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that um, people can do in their day that, that you suggest to lead, just small things to lead to a more positive um, well yeah. future? You know, I, I'm going to go back to this thing about stress and perhaps maybe it's because I've I've had such a journey, a successful journey, mind you, that my stress levels are lower now than when I was that uh, family doctor going from one room to another every 15 minutes. And, you know, everyone needs to find these short little practices to help keep them in the moment during the day. Because it's when we let our mind wander to what we have to do, start going into the future, that's when the stress starts to build. So if we can stay present and in the moment, then we're going to benefit um, ourselves for our emotions. But stress also influences um, our behavior choices. So when I'm stressed, I eat more chocolate. Uh, I'm not alone. A lot of people stress eat. So, Ginger, you know, if people have the luxury of um, uh, embedding themselves in a mindfulness-based stress reduction retreat, like going away for five days and really learning it, that's great. But that's not everybody. One thing we can do is recognize 
when we feel stressed, but that requires us to check in. Silly as it sounds, you may have to set an alarm three times a day, right before you start seeing patients at lunchtime and the last patient, just making it up. And maybe that alarm reminds you, okay, how am I feeling right now? And if you feel stressed, what's the next step? It could be as simple as a breathing pattern that takes less than 60 seconds. It could be listening to a calming song through your iPhone. It could be taking the yo-yo out of your pocket and giving it a few swings. Find what works for you. It will feel unnatural at first, but I promise you over time, you won't need that alarm and you will figure out what quick exercise can you do to bring your adrenaline down and it will make your day much better. Great advice. Thank you. And then does this look at all different for remote workers? So I know our organization is remote, but also at a lot of companies, support staff has remained remote, um, which is which is great. But I know personally, I miss that personal connection. Um, that you yeah. Know, only a few times a year now. So. Right. No, no, it's it's uh, it's a, it's the new reality for many people. Hybrid and remote workers face a special challenge with their well-being. Recently, Dr. Vivek Murthy, our Surgeon General, has made it abundantly clear through his Surgeon General report and all of the public relations work that's happening that loneliness is a real health risk factor. And when people work remotely, they don't have the same opportunities to connect with the people they work with, unless they're much more intentional. Ginger, you're not gonna run into someone at work when you go to the kitchen to get a glass of water. If you were at work, uh, a physical workplace, you might have that three minute opportunity to say, hey, how's your uh, son doing? Um, is he playing soccer this year? Those little moments are what help create bonds between coworkers. Now, I would strongly encourage you, Ginger, and any other team that works remotely to go out of your way to find opportunities to connect, even if it's over a video screen that's not work-related. If it's possible, I would encourage teams that work remotely to meet once a week in the workplace to all work together to have some meetings in person and have lunch together. It doesn't need to be a full eight hours. It's not gonna work if the organization or the leader says it's optional because people who need more social contact, they're gonna come in on a Tuesday and no one's gonna be there. And someone else will come in on a Thursday and they'll be like, oh gee, I didn't know you came in on Tuesday. I'm here and no one's here on Thursday. It, it's not asking a lot consider most people went into the office five days a week and I don't think people realize how good they're going to feel and how much better it is for the team um, itself. Yes, something definitely to be said for that. That personal contact, I will attest to that. 
And what are some steps that our listeners can take to encourage maybe the the leadership of their organizations to adopt a well-being culture? Yeah, well, I always think it's a funny idea if someone's bold enough to give their boss or the head of the organization a copy of the book as a gift. Um, we'll, we'll see how often that happens. You know, it, it's, it's really um, why I wrote the book, because sometimes leaders can't slow down to um, hear a message from somebody or a vendor. And sometimes people just want to read it. They keep a book on their nightstand or they take it on the plane. Um, I think that, you know, you have to know your own manager and your own leaders. If there's a leader who's receptive, even if it's not your own boss, I would approach that person because you're looking for an advocate. Leaders have peers too. So even if it's not your boss, if it's another manager, that you know has an interest because of whatever they share during the day, then perhaps let them know, hey, uh, is there any way that you can get your leadership to you and your colleagues to think more about what you could be doing to support the well-being of the rest of the workforce? And that at least would start a conversation. But be prepared for them to ask a question or two like, well, like what, what would you want us to do? And so in that regard, um, you may wanna read something if it's not the book that I wrote. There's a lot of self-help books out there, but there's very few books that are helpful and practical when it comes to well-being in the workplace. I would say this is this is one of the only ones that I have really found um, related to well-being in the work, specifically well-being in the mm-hmm. workplace. There's a lot of leadership things, um, but you also in the book name some speed bumps, or you call them culture killers. Yeah, that the organization may run into, you know, if they do listen and they are trying to uh, implement change. So, what are some of these speed bumps to be aware of? Yeah, I mean, it can be pretty frustrating when the manager or the leader of the group says, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We should all um, take a break together at noon every day and we'll we'll put 30 minutes on the calendar and people have to stay for at least 15. And then uh, they start putting meetings during that time or the manager herself uh, stays for only five minutes and says, oh, you guys stay, I, I got something else to do. Like, like they're more important, right? And, and they're the role model. So we, we really, you know, a speed bump would be when a leader doesn't act on what they say. And that's just one of 11 speed bumps in the chapter. Okay, thank you. Yes, you definitely definitely need to read the book to get all of the building blocks and the speed bumps. And then I guess anything else that you think is important as it pertains to oncology and your work? Um, yeah, I mean, you have, um, I would imagine you have a pretty stressful job. Your patients and their families are often in emotional distress. And I I don't think what I'm about to say is going to be rocket science, but I think it's important to build on the basic idea 
that you need to practice self-care. And self-care in the sense that you may end up getting um, compassion fatigue. And uh, hopefully your organization or your practice has already looked into compassion fatigue and how to keep yourselves from getting to that point. But if you haven't, that's a place to go. And don't think that self-care is your, an individual journey, like it's only on yourself. Start thinking about your well-being as a team sport. In other words, we are very dependent. Our well-being is very dependent on each other. When we feel like a team in the truest sense, like we feel bonded to each other, we have been able to share personal information that has made us feel vulnerable so that we feel connected to each other. It increases our resilience. It helps us bounce back when we're having difficult days. Um, I can't overemphasize this enough about this team bonding. Ginger, you brought it up previously when we talked about remote workers, but it goes for workers who are in the office as well. If you're working next to someone, but you don't know who they are other than what their job is, you're not connected. Yes. You need to know each other as people to uh, get that well-being benefit from having a relationship. I feel like that, I mean, that's definitely for the workplace, but I just was thinking about our neighborhoods too. I feel like even oh, our we're cursed. community. Yeah, we got social media and then we got like our kids aren't playing outside with each other because everyone's going to like uh, youth, you know, sports, this, that. And I actually read a headline, Ginger, that kind of gave me a little hope. It was about um, a declining number of uh, of children playing in youth sports leagues because they weren't finding it fun. Now, I'm not happy about that. Well, but on the other side, maybe they'll start playing with their neighborhood kids and that will help improve a sense of community. Yes, I, I agree with you. And maybe they may not find it fun because of the parents. <laughs> just, just oh, yeah. Side, not the sport itself. It's too much. It's um, too much. Yes, our we are, live in a little beach community, so we're fortunate to do this. But my son started middle school this year, and there's a group. It's probably seven or eight boys, sixth graders, that all ride their bikes to school. So oh, that's like, wonderful. Comes to the next, and then they go, and I I love it. Like I would rather live in the mountains, but I will not leave here until he's done with school, just because just because of the community. That's great. That's uh, great. And then where can we find your book? And I know you also have a website, so I would love to hear a little about that. And we'll we'll add all of this to the show notes for people as well. Sure. Uh, you can find the book anywhere books are sold. It's also available on Kindle and audiobook. Uh, so, you know, just go to wherever you purchase those things. Uh, I do have a website if you want to learn more about your role uh, as a as a team member in healthcare and how to support your own well-being and those around you. It's richardsafir.com. 
not too creative, but uh, it gets the point across. The spelling of my name will be in the show notes and maybe the title of the, the podcast. I'm active on LinkedIn and pretty much just post about well-being in the context of the workday. Wonderful. I think I definitely recommend we should all check it out. So now I just have one final fun question that we ask all sure. of our podcast guests. And we're reverting to another previous season's question this season because I it was my favorite question so far. But if you could have dinner with anyone living or in history, who would it be? And then what would you have to eat? So what would be on your menu? Wow. I like the menu part is my favorite. <laughs> Thank you for asking that question, Ginger. Although there are several people who I would love to have dinner who are no longer alive, I think it would kind of freak me out to see them <laughs> <laughs> knowing that they, uh, yeah. So I'm going to pick um, a living person. And I would say whenever I was asked that question, whoever was the living president, because... Okay. They have so much influence on the health and well-being of this country that I would want them to know um, the opportunities that they face uh, based on the decisions that they're making. I mean, they probably have some idea, but I think it would be a fascinating exchange between um, someone who's the leader of the free world and mm -hmm. someone who's an expert in the well-being of employees yes i would i would like to be present for that mm, i'd love to have you um, <laughs> the menu so the menu wow um i really like uh middle eastern food yes. so and i'm a, a, a pesco vegan so i wouldn't mind some type of fish uh, like bronzini um i was fortunate to have some great bronzini in portugal uh, but then uh, I really like Baba Ganoush and um, there's uh, some other um, dishes like that that uh, I would be more than happy to partake in. That sounds delicious. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to have you. Your book, again, is excellent. Great, great read for anyone interested. And hopefully we all are in promoting a well-being culture in their workplace. So thank you for your time today. Thank you, Ginger. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Safir. You can find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts and on encoda.org. That's encoda.org. Don't forget to follow along. You can also follow us on Instagram at the PQI podcast. We hope you tune in next week for another edition of the PQI podcast. Thanks, everybody.